Please start us off. Good evening. This is a meeting of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment. The date is Monday, October 30th. The time is 5.07 p.m. Please note that the ringing and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices is prohibited. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of anyone using a phone or similar device. For remote participants, please note that the ringing of cell phones can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please ensure your device is silenced. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. For comments on matters that are not on the agenda, there will be an opportunity for general public comment. Participants who wish to comment in person will be asked to come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Members of the public participating remotely may comment by calling into the meeting. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001, entering access code 2664-154-8089, and the meeting password, SFGOV, that's S-F-G-O-V. Once connected, dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and silence any other devices. Alternatively, members of the public may submit public comment by email to environment at sfgov.org. Comments submitted via email will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official meeting file. I will now call the roll. President Don? Here. Vice President Juan is excused. Commissioner Bermejo? Here. Commissioner Hunter? Here. Commissioner Sullivan? Here. Commissioner Tompkins? Here. Commissioner Yuan? Here. President Don, we have a quorum. Excellent. Next item, please. All right, the next item is item two. President's welcome. This item is for discussion. Good evening. The Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytushaloni peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize the Ramaytushaloni understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with nature for millennia. We honor the Ramaytushaloni peoples for their enduring commitment to Warep, Mother Earth, as the indigenous protectors of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community. As environmentalists, we recognize we must embrace indigenous knowledge and how we care for San Francisco and its people. Commissioners, staff, members of the public, welcome to today's meeting. As our planet continues to grow hotter and hotter and our hurricanes even stronger than ever, we just witnessed last week with the devastation wrought by Hurricane Otis in southern Mexico. And while we can encounter mounting evidence of climate change each day, we also see the affirmation in that in the value and urgency of our work here in the city and county and that we see that our planet is counting on our actions. So before we begin, I want to extend, first of all, a warm welcome to our newest commissioner, Vince Yuan, who's making his debut on the commission today. And Commissioner Yuan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Vince Yuan, uh, resident of San Francisco for 20 years. And I started this campaign called Refuse Refuse that helps to organize and educate people on how to keep the city clean and pollution free. And we've organized over 1,800 cleanups in the past two and a half years. We've removed close to half a million gallons of trash. And you ain't seen nothing yet. So I hope people will come join us and spread the word because it really works. And it, you know, it's action that makes uh, a difference. And so this is one way that you could do it. So thank you very much and look forward to serving the commission. We're glad to have you.
Our bylaws also grant the Commission President, myself, the authority to appoint Commission members to Commission subcommittees. After careful consideration, I've decided to appoint Commissioner Tompkins to the Policy Committee and Commissioner Yuan to the Operations Committee. I'm confident that both will uh, bring their skills, their intellect, and knowledge to these committees and will be able to fulfill them very well. So thank you for your service on that. We have a full agenda this evening, so let's get started. Uh, I believe we have to take public comment on this. We'll begin with public comment here in the meeting room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today wish to comment on this item? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Good evening. I'm Thierry. Phil, you don't know me. It's clear it's the first time I address this commission, right? Uh, it fits my agenda, so it's perfect. Otherwise, I've been talking to uh, all the commissions over the board, the supervisors, since uh, last February. It's becoming more and more. I need to be all over the place. Okay, so, environment. Rule number one, the skies are watching you 24-7. They know exactly what you are doing all the time. So, first thing is to pay attention to the skies, because the skies govern Excuse me, please note that we do have general public comment on item four. This comment is on the welcome message. I'm sorry. Specifically. It's not general public comment. I'm sorry. Item four, please. Uh, I don't know what you said. Welcome. <laughs> okay. So next. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, is there any other public comment? And, and seeing no further comment in the room, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Just Thank one you. moment. Members of the public participating remotely should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And see no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, next item please. All right, the next item is item three, approval of minutes of the September 26, 2023 Commission on the Environment Special Meeting. The explanatory document is the September 26, 2023 Commission on the Environment Special Meeting draft minutes. This item is for discussion and action. Any discussion or changes, commissioners? And if not, do I hear a motion to approve the minutes? No moved. All right, we have a motion from Commissioner Hunter. Do I? Second that. Second from Commissioner Bermejo. Uh, at this point, seeing no further discussion, let's go to public comment then. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak on this item? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Okay, please call the roll. President on. Aye. Vice President Juan is excused. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Tompkins. Aye. Commissioner Yuan. Aye. All right, with that, the motion passes. Next item, please. All right, the next item is item four, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. Welcome back. Oh, yes, so, okay, but let's have a smile. We need a smile. We, I don't see your smile. 
Ah, yeah, but it's not good. Remember, we need to push responsibility and critical thinking. It's general. So, I'm sorry, my friend, a mask doesn't help critical thinking. It's like, it's no way. So, never mind. The skies are watching, yes. No matter what, they're watching me. I'm on sort of a mission. Okay, I'm French, you can tell, right? I'm an artist, Thierry, Phil. Doesn't really matter, I've been here for, for years. I want to help San Francisco, so I think San Francisco can set a precedent for basically the entire world, step by step, right? Because it's beautiful. My mission is to make everybody happy. I don't care, I don't want anything. I just want everybody to be happy using, remembering the concept that you, happiness is your reason for being on this earth, to be alive. And you need to focus on this, what's called an eternal emotional aspiration towards beauty. So we focus on that. It's not for sale. Huh? You can't sell happiness, you can't sell beauty. You just have to, it's a mindset. So normally it excludes any lie, anything. Yeah, we are stuck now. Because there is such a pressure on us, it's, uh, it's going to be tough to get out of it, but we must do it. Okay. I'm going to give you an example. Okay, so um, there is no zero in the universe. It doesn't exist, zero. So when you hear a, a project pushing towards zero, whatever, it doesn't exist. Everything comes from something. There is not just a thing as zero. There is always something that creates something else. What is the question? So the zero is already a misconception. I don't know where it comes from. It's an emotional disorder, I think. That's the way it is. Based on a, a wrong system of education that's been going on for now, many, three centuries, I think. 1776, then after, even the French Revolution. I think it starts there. So we are in a deep, <clears throat> so we must wake up in a way, okay, no, no zero, first. The other thing I want to address, you know, is that everybody knows that trees enjoy carbon dioxide. That's why in prehistoric times they were so big. Whereas when there wasn't any humans, I think. So was it a problem with the dinosaurs? There were, where did carbon dioxide come from? It's a fact. Huh? So if we want a good environment, we have to understand that the trees need carbon dioxide. So you see, there is a problem here. It's obvious. OK, I love you. You pay attention, please. All right, thank you for your comment. Are there any additional members of the public in the room who wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. And members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you. Next item, please. The next item is item five, presentation of the Johanna Wald Environmental Service Award to Kara Gurney. This item is for discussion. I believe this is Commissioner Hunter. I have the distinct honor of issuing tonight's award to a longtime staff member, Kara Gurney. To put it simply, you have been an icon to this department and this city. The work that you have done over the past decade has led the department in ways we didn't think possible. 
taking environment now from a simple initiative to a long-standing program is not an easy feat, and it's not something that anyone could do. And I want you to recognize the impact that you had on the community and this department in particular. Helping thousands of businesses transform their business model to reduced waste is instrumental in helping us achieve our climate action plan. But more importantly, the near 150 individuals who you helped bring in, mentor, teach, and grow to become better versions of themselves is a lasting impact beyond anything else. I like to keep these remarks short, but I do want to say you are instrumental in where we are today, and I cannot say thank you enough for all of the work you have done. I hope that you enjoy your retirement because it is well-earned and well-deserved at this point. Oh, you're welcome to say a few words. Yeah. Hi, y'all. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I am deeply honored, um, to say the least, and very lucky. Uh, I'm very lucky that I ended up at the department, to be honest. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I applied for a nine-month position at the department. It was supposed to be temporary, um, and I have been here or was there for 14 years, um, which is amazing. Um, and during that 14 years, um, I found myself playing multiple roles. And so I think I just want to say a few things because I know that you all have already been through an entire day of work, including the folks sitting behind me as well. Um, and I promise a couple. Notice I didn't say one or two, because I don't want you to count. Um, so, so I want to say thank you back to you, um, to be honest. Uh, first and foremost, I had that nine-month position. The department decided to invest in the program that I was currently with. Thank you. Um, otherwise, I would not be around today. Uh, beyond that, the department also challenged me to, to step beyond even managing the Environment Now program or coordinating the Environment Now program and challenged me to do other things like marketing and advertising. Who knew um, I would lead multiple marketing and advertising campaigns for the department? Additionally, uh, the department challenged me to step up when policy implementation was needed. So I worked with the Zero Waste team and collaborated with others and figured out how to best implement policy and then sent Environment Now out to do it. Um, it was pretty amazing. So um, I want to thank you for challenging me to step up into roles that I never knew I would be in, never knew I'd be interested in, and um, I'm much better for it, um, to say the least. And finally, just to talk a little bit about the thank you that I want to say to you all about Environment Now. You're absolutely right. Um, Environment Now means so much to me and so much to this department, and I'm so happy that I have had the opportunity to bring it from its infancy to, I would say, its young adulthood. It's not quite, it's not quite an adult yet. There's still an iteration going on right now um, with uh, Eric and Shraddha and uh, David at the helm. So I can't wait to see what that looks like, uh, the next iteration of Environment Now. But I also want to thank the people who've worked on that program because 
honestly, I, I can't take full credit for it. I can't take full credit for all of the things that I've done at the department. It really required a lot of effort and people behind me, um, to the side of me, and sometimes in front of me, right? So um, I, I'd really love to thank, going back, um, first, David Osman uh, for deciding to invest in the program. Uh, Donnie for fighting for the program to stick around for a really long time. Pally, uh, James, Clark, um, I'd say any coordinator, Doug, Miguel, uh, now, now David and uh, Eric, like everybody who has done anything to move the program along, thank you. Um, and most of all, I'm most proud of the impact that we've had on the people's lives who've gone through the program. Um, I was reminded of that at my happy hour, my going away happy hour. Uh, we had some old school folks show up, and um, and that wasn't all us. That was partly them. Uh, they came into the program and really had to commit. They had to put in 50%. We put in 50%. Together, uh, we made 100. So uh, thank you all. I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks. Um, at this point, we'll invite any, perhaps, staff to come up and speak, and as they come up, maybe commissioners who also want to chime in, too. But, uh, Kara, I'll personally appreciate you for your charm, your grace. Uh, you've always been, a, you know, a very cheerful and really easy person to work with, so thank you. Anybody else? Yes, Commissioner Bermejo. Kara, I can't believe you're going to retire, but uh, I... You so well deserve it, but I just want to say thank you for how you reach out to communities and engage them so that nobody feels left behind. And you take wonderful uh, cultural things and turn them into fun and learning experiences, and in particular, my favorite, the Loteria game. But people were learning about recycling and composting while having fun, winning a prize. And, re and it was so good for the environment. But you're out there, you in the communities, making people feel that they are, their involvement is also causing change. So thank you for all you do for reaching out. And thank you for inviting me to participate in some of those programs. All right. Maybe we'll move on to public comment at this point. Are there any members of the public or present in the room today who wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, at this point, we'll pause for a portrait right here in the corner.
No, 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 just the commissioners on this one. We need a photo of you guys. With that next item, please. Right. The next item is item six, staff introductions. The speaker is Tyrone Chu, director. This item is for discussion. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, as we recognize the leadership of Kara and her work in the department, uh, she's helped pave the way for many young people uh, and new people to join the department to continue the work that she uh, in some ways began and also in other areas of the department as well. So we're gonna invite uh, all the folks that are here in person. Uh, I'm gonna invite you all to kind of step up so we can kind of do this and I'm gonna call you out one by one. And if you'd like and you feel comfortable, you're welcome to say a few words uh, to the commission to introduce yourself. Uh, so come on up if you're, if you're a new employee and here in person. Oh, wow. There's a lot. Yeah. We've been busy at HR. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, first we have Josh Berman who is joining us as a clean transportation specialist. Hi, Commissioners. My name is Josh Berman. I'm the new Clean Transportation Specialist, and right now I'm working on the medium and heavy-duty uh, zero-emission uh, zero vehicle blueprint for the city, and I'm excited to work with you all. Thank you. Next, we have Audrey Castilla, who is our Assistant Community Engagement Coordinator. Uh, buenas tardes. My name is Adriana Casir, or I also go by Adri, and I go by she, they, them, AAA's pronouns. I'm actually a local San Franciscan, so I'm really excited to be here. Shout out Kara, because she hired me. So, <laughs> um, I, as Tyrone said, I am an assistant community engagement coordinator working on the Environment Now team. Thank you. Next, we have uh, Jason Huang. And Jason is joining us as an assistant community engagement coordinator. Good afternoon, my name is Jason. I'm the assistant coordinator in the Environment Now, uh, Environment Now team. Uh, this is the second month I'm in this uh, department. I'm looking forward to, the, uh, to work with uh, everyone in the department in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next up, we have Augusta Lewis, who is our Civic Sparks Fellow, who's joining the climate team. Hi, I'm Augusta, and I'm a Civic Spark Fellow, and um, I'm working on the greenhouse gas inventory. It's nice to meet you, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you. And we have Taryn McGrew, who is our Climate Action Corps Fellow, uh, working on environmental education and clean transportation. Good evening, commissioners. I'm Taryn McGrew with California Climate Action. I'm out of the office of the governor. I'm working under the leadership of Esther Tang on a proposal for collaborative environmental education design using artificial intelligence. I will also be working with the clean transportation um, with a focus in looking and being introduced to the Bayview Hunters Point area. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next, we have a promotion from within the department. Uh, as this commission's aware, uh, Anya went on to become our agency's first senior racial equity coordinator. Uh, and so filling in Anya's role, I'm pleased to announce that Jax Pugliotti uh, will be taking over. So Jax. 
Hello, my name is Jax. My pronouns are she, her, and ella in Spanish. And I was previously the Green Business Associate, helping the Green Business Program, who we'll hear from later. Um, yeah, and now I'm taking over Anya's role, helping Ty um, with all things that need to be done. I'm really glad to be here. Um, I'm also born and raised in San Francisco, um, so I'm really proud to work for this department. Thank you. Thanks, Jax. Uh, next, we have Jessica Reyes, also a promotion uh, internally, who is joining us now as the Environmental Education Coordinator. Hello, everyone. My name is Jessica Reyes. I use she, her pronouns. I was a 9922 and just started today as the Assistant Environmental Education Coordinator. So excited to be here. Thank you. Next, Callie Shang, who is our other Climate Action Corps fellow working on zero waste. My name is Callie Shang. I am a California Climate Action Corps fellow serving on the Commercial Zero Waste team. My focus area is waste reduction and edible food recovery, and I'm very excited to be here working for the department. Thank you. Thanks. Next is Valerie Vines, who is our Municipal Toxics Reduction Assistant Coordinator. Good evening. My name is Valerie Vines. I'll be assisting Shoba Iyer on the Integrated Pest Management and uh, by Green Teams as an Assistant Coordinator. Uh, and then last for our in-person, we have William Jen, who is our Environmental Outreach Associate. Good evening, my name's William. I'm an Environmental Outreach Associate in the Environment Now team that Kara founded. And I'm also SF native and I'm excited to work here. And then we have one person who's remote, uh, Lauren Crane, who is our McCarthy Fellow. And she'll be assisting Peter on the Healthy Ecosystems team. Lauren? Hi, everyone. I hope you can hear me. I'm Lauren, and I use she, her, hers pronouns, and I'm on the Healthy Ecosystems yeah. team, like you said. And I'm working most related to biodiversity policy and the urban environment. But I'm also a student at the University of San Francisco studying politics and environmental studies. But it's so great to meet you all virtually, and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Lauren. And commissioners, that concludes uh, staff introductions. So let's greet everyone with a round of applause. As a note, because I know it's really awkward if, if, if you need to leave and you're here for just the staff introductions portion, just feel free to get up and go out. We're used to it. Don't worry about it. Go home. Do what you want to do for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Uh, any other discussion, commissioners? If not, public comment, please. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. <coughs> Members of the public participating remotely wish to make a comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, next item, please. All right, the next item is item seven, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2023-13-the OE resolution authorizing Environment Department Zero Waste Grant. The sponsor is Tyron Chu, director. The speaker is Alina Beckerman, CRV Zero Waste Coordinator. The explanatory document is resolution file 2023-13-the OE. This item is for discussion and possible action. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, and just as a reminder, uh, this commission set a policy uh, to increase transparency around uh, our outgoing grants from the department. Uh, typically, it includes approval of grants over $100,000. However, we've made it a practice um, 
to bring all outgoing grants just in the interest of public transparency and for the commission also to see where the resources are going to and which organizations and for the commission to meet the organizations that are involved. And so tonight uh, here to present on a zero waste grant is Alina Beckerman and she's gonna tell us a little bit more about this particular grant. Good evening, Director Jew and commissioners. Thank you so much for hearing us here. Uh, my name is Alina Beckerman, representing the residential team on the zero waste side, and I prepared a statement and uh, a short summary about the grantee local motion uh, known to the community as Bike Mobile was founded in 2013 and has hosted nearly 3,000 events throughout the Bay Area. Originally funded with a grant from the Spare the Air uh, Youth uh, Climate Initiative Program from the Metro Transportation Commission, Local Motion established Bike Mobile and it's a mobile Bay Area uh, service with experts and mechanics equipped to train the public on how to repair their bikes, as well as providing resources, parts, and accessories when possible to get folks on the road. Uh, the goal of Bike Mobile is to engage participants in hands-on repair processes and to train them to make future repairs on their own. Um, the grant uh, fulfills the Climate Action Plan Responsible Production and Consumption Goal 3.3, uh, and the grant offers uh, funding for local organizations to provide repair uh, and a clinic for free of charge to the public. So funding uh, this particular program is coming from the impound refuse rate dollars and the grant has an access to waste by keeping uh, bikes out of uh, the landfill and in the public circulation. Um, so the program itself will run for the next three years and Local Motion will be bringing Bike Mobile uh, to more than 30 local events in collaboration with the department, the San Francisco Public Library and the Public Library Eco Center. And with us today, hopefully we have Tommy uh, who can share a little bit more about the program. Thank you. Tommy Bensko, are you able to say a few words? Yes, hello, Great, sorry, you. it took just a second to get everything turned on there. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, great to be here. We're really excited to deliver this program for you all. We, um, we started this about a decade ago when I was sitting in front of a classroom and my job was to encourage children to ride their bike more often. And um, the programs we were running were okay, but I knew we could do better. And so I just, I asked the students why aren't you riding your bike to school more often? What can we do to help? And um, this one, one girl said, well, biking messes up my hair. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't think I can do anything about that in particular. But, uh, you know, and then the next student said, well, my bike just has a flat tire. And I thought, oh, you know, we're out here, we're, we're encouraging and we're, we're, in, we're promoting safety, but we're not doing a whole lot to actually help people overcome this barrier of, of repair and maintenance. And so the bike mobile was born as first program of its kind in the country that we're aware of 
and it expanded into San Francisco about a decade ago. And we've been doing about 10 to 15 events per year since then. And it's been going great. We've, we've branched out from schools and we've gotten into libraries and affordable housing. And it's been going really well. And um, this funding is coming at a great time. Uh, there's been a gap in the funding from the Metropolitan Transportation Commission. And so this is, this is perfect. It's gonna keep the program going. And um, yeah, Freddie reached out about, Freddie Coronado reached out about a, about a year ago and said, hey, we wanna do a pilot um, partner with you. And so we did three pilot events. They all went really well. Um, there was one in particular at the Civic Center Library in downtown San Francisco that was just, it was mind blowing because normally we have about an average of 20 participants showing up and that's, that's good, that's a good day. But um, I think because of all the extra promotion that your organization did, we had a, over 60 people show up that one day and um, we were slammed. There was a line around the block in front of the, the library. And uh, I mean, it looked like a sold out concert or something like that. And, uh, and it was just great. So y'all did just, you know, fantastic job of promoting it, coordinating, and we're really looking forward to um, doing this program with you. So thank you so much for funding it. And commissioners, I'll just add the uh, 10 to 12 uh, events uh, that we plan to hold are in the near term called Fix-It Clinics. And so the partnership with the library is uh, we're going out to community uh, district library branches and holding these uh, Fix-It Clinics where we're helping people to repair their clothing and teaching them how to repair their clothing and also teaching them how to repair their bikes. So you don't have to buy something new. You can actually repair what you have, uh, which is more uh, cost efficient for the consumer and also helps the planet. Thank you. Any other discussion by commissioners? Seeing none, maybe we'll open this up to public comment. Or actually, first of all, we need a motion first on this resolution. Is there a motion? I'll move approval. All right, we have a motion from Commissioner Sullivan. Second? Second. A second from Commissioner Tompkins. Uh, with that, let's go to public comment then. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. And see no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, please call the roll. President on. Aye. Vice President Juan is excused. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Tompkins. Aye. Commissioner Rien. Aye. And with that, the motion passes. Thank you for this work and looking forward to hearing more in the future. Uh, with that, the next item, please. All right, the next item is item eight, presentation on the Health Ecosystem Chapter of the 2021 Climate Action Plan. The sponsor is Cindy Comerford, Climate Program Manager. The speaker is Peter Brasto, Senior Biodiversity Specialist. The explanatory document is the 2021 Climate Action Plan. This item is for discussion. Hi, Cindy. Great. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Cindy Comerford. I'm the Climate Program Manager. And I'm here to introduce our next presentation, which is an update on the Healthy eco Ecosystem Chapter of the Climate Action Plan. When we did our engagement for the 2021 Climate Action Plan, if you developed the word cloud for all of the feedback we got from our residents, the word trees and green spaces were 10 times larger than anything else. So this is a very important topic to our residents and to the department. 
We know that green spaces and nature help climate change through carbon sequestration, but we also know that taking care of our natural spaces is important for all living things in San Francisco. Um, both biodiversity and climate change are imperative to long-term sustainability for San Francisco. So we've had a lot of momentum in this area. Most recently, uh, Mayor London Breed was asked to participate in the Nature Positive Leadership Forum. This is organized by the World Economic Forum, which inspires leaders to improve the resilience, livability, and uh, implement nature-based solutions and have nature-full cities. Additionally, some of you might have read in the Chronicle over the last week, San Francisco just received $14 million to uh, augment tree planting in the city over the next five years. So there's a lot more accomplishments and challenges, and I'm gonna turn it over to our Senior Biodiversity Coordinator, Peter Brasto, to present this evening. All right, thank you, Cindy. Good evening, commissioners. Thanks for having me, great to be here. Um, good to be back. Uh, so I'll just introduce myself, Peter Barasto. I've been with the department since 2012. David Osmond, who was mentioned earlier, our former deputy director, hired me. And uh, I came out of a decades-old, long, um, you know, ecological restoration stewardship movement in San Francisco. Uh, and, and so the idea was, hey, let's look at the whole city from the 30,000-foot view. Uh, and really work together toward, uh, toward the goal of having a biodiverse city. And so that's what we'll talk about today when I talk about the Healthy e Ecosystems chapter. But quickly, I wanted to mention that for 10 years, we were a program of one, and now we're a program of two. Uh, so Jesus Lozano also works with me, and he is our Urban Forestry Council Coordinator. I think he's sitting back there. Um, okay, I think you can go to the next slide. So uh, the opportunity for the Healthy Ecosystems chapter was really something from my perspective because um, having been part of this movement for so many years, working for the National Park Service, working for a nonprofit, um, I, you know, we've, we've, had, we've had so many ideas swimming around all of us in so many meetings over the years and so much advocacy and, and amazing stewardship projects. But how can we paint a picture of a really bold vision uh, for a biodiverse city? And so we've, we've done that uh, in the Healthy Ecosystems chapter, and that was kind of, you know, that was what I wanted, and that's what we got. Um, so <laughs> it turned out pretty well. Um, you know, it, it is about carbon sequestration and carbon storage, uh, but as you'll see as I'm talking, it's about so many other things as well. Uh, let me just check my notes to make sure I didn't leave something out. Um, okay, yeah, I think that's good. You can go to the next slide, please. Uh, so this is a really central part of, of how the Healthy Ecosystems chapter uh, got done. Um, inspired by a 2017 Commission on the Environment Resolution, uh, a 2018 Board of Supervisors Resolution gave further direction to the Biodiversity Inter Interagency Working Group um, via a, a, you know, articulating a vision for a biodiversity, as well as uh, basically laying out a framework for interagency cooperation. So that's what we've been doing for 10 years, but, but in 2018, we got a real kind of a, a jolt uh, of, of doing more of that. And so this, this structure was key for the process of creating the Healthy Ecosystems chapter. Excuse me, in some dry mouth. Should have brought a glass of water. Um, this happens to me sometimes. I'll just relax, calm down. Um, so, so 
15 agencies were named in the 2018 resolution, and I'd say upwards of eight, nine, 10 definitely participated regularly in the process of vetting our ideas and uh, you know, editing language for the, for the actions that we were talking about over the months, over the years, really, of producing the cap. Uh, and, so, um, and so really, that was, that was critical to, to how we got to where we are today with, with this spectacular, um, uh, spectacular healthy ecosystems chapter. Let me just make sure I didn't leave anything out. Oh, and I wanted to mention, so it was in the course of our monthly meetings um, with you know, many people in the room, but also lots of one-on-ones. So for example, I sat down with Carla Short, the interim head of public works. Then I think she was still, um, in, you know, before she went to be the head of, of public works, she, you know, she runs the Bureau of Urban Forestry. And so we went through all seven actions that are urban forestry related and, and worked together to make sure that you know, she, she and, and her team and sort of the urban forestry community had buy-in with those. So it was a very collaborative process. Okay, next slide. Okay, and so the result were seven strategies, which you'll see shortly, and 32 actions among those seven strategies. Uh, so um, you can see, so healthy ecosystems is you know, equivalent in terms of its importance, as illustrated by the slide of our seven chapters, our seven sectors, uh, including water now. And so that was really gratifying for everybody locally here in the conservation community. And the the weaving together as well of the problem of the climate crisis, the, the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis was something that we achieved with publishing this chapter as well so that people really understood how they were inextricably linked. Uh, next slide. Oh, I guess I can just look over there instead of looking to my left. Um, <laughs> so, and also want to make the point that as I, as I kind of intimated earlier, that uh, the healthy, restoring healthy ecosystems, planting trees, um, you know, revegetating our landscapes, whether they're natural or our, in our, and in our parks and everywhere, is not just about carbon, um, although we want to do our part. Um, but it's, it's about all these other elements, right? So I call it the healthy ecosystem solar system with all the different benefits um, that are really important to, to having access to nature, connection to nature, nature right where you live, uh, and for, for the benefit of all of our native plants and animals. Next slide. Okay, so these are our seven strategies, and I made sure to print them out here so I could reference them as I'm talking. Uh, I'm not going to read all of these in order. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to go through some example actions from each of the strategies. And, um, and so that'll give you an idea of, of each one of them and how they sort of fit together. Um, this list here is the order in which they're presented in the chapter. Um, it's not necessarily a, like a chronological order, but there's, there's some logic in that the first strategy is really a sort of, um, it's kind of a planning and research and um, kind of an organizational set of elements, set of actions to really um, kind of help create a framework for implementing the whole, every, all the actions in the chapter. So that is why that one's included first. Um, okay, I think you can go to the next slide, Kyle. Thank you. So this uh, was, this is our very first action um, for strategy one, which uh, advanced citywide collaboration to continually refine nature-based climate solutions that sequester carbon, restore ecosystems, and conserve biodiversity. That's strategy one. So 1.1 is the Alameda uh, watershed study. 
which is basically uh, was commissioned by the PUC right around the time when we started working on the cap. Um, and essentially had two goals. Uh, one was to characterize the carbon storage, the current carbon storage of the 39,000 acre Alameda watershed that the PUC owns. It's the largest land holding of the city, um, as well as to uh, kind of lay out some, some recommendations for uh, what are the potential ways we can uh, uh, store more carbon, sequester more carbon on, on those lands. Uh, and it's really an incredible report. We actually just made a presentation at our climate action plan update to all the other city departments recently. Uh, and, and it really laid the groundwork for understanding um, across a whole range of systems. Actually, you can go to the next slide. Uh, so this, uh, this shows the relative contribution of, of carbon storage and sequestration um, from the above ground vegetation um, and then b below ground among the root, between the roots and the soil, microbiota, et cetera, um, among six different ecosystems, all of which are in the Alameda watershed. And so this, this was a kind of a first of its kind product, certainly for, for our city, uh, and, and a really um, great start and a great reference point for us to think about um, how do we talk about uh, what, our, what restoring natural ecosystems does for carbon uh, in, in the city's land. So uh, we're really happy with that study. You can go on to the next slide. Uh, and so strategy two. Uh, is uh, is a long strategy. I'm not, oh yeah, no, it's actually not. Uh, do I have it in here? Oh yeah, no, it's right here. So that's increase equitable community participation in nature-based climate solutions, including meaningful. Sorry, my writing. Meaningful efforts to prioritize indigenous science and traditional ecological knowledge. I don't have my reading glasses on either. Um, so within strategy two, we have three actions. And this slide is uh, kind of representing two. The first action, 2.1, is really um, really about um, validating that we need to do equitable community outreach for all of the greening projects that the city does. Uh, and then in addition, 2.2 uh, .2 or 2-2, is uh, the idea was to create an interjurisdictional working group. So, so we have the biodiversity and energy working group, which is within the city family, if you will, but then going out to all of our other colleagues, the National Park Service, the Presidio Trust, State Parks, the California Academy of Sciences, our NGO colleagues, and really um, creating a broader network of folks working together around restoring biodiversity and, and dealing with carbon sequestration. Well, luckily, what happened recently is that the California Academy of Sciences spearheaded this new um, initiative called Reimagining San Francisco, which you may have heard about. We got some press recently. Um, we had a great launch event on the roof of the Academy. And so what we're doing is we're really looking at that now 32 organizational collaborative to be our opportunity for implementing um, not only these, these outreach and engagement strategies and collaboration, but, but much of what we want to do in implementing the Healthy Ecosystems chapter. Uh, so these are all, all these logos represent the folks, many, many organizations, agencies, et cetera, who have been involved in this work for 30 years. Okay, next slide. Okay. Um, so this is uh, strategy three, which is restore and enhance parks, natural lands, and large open spaces. And so I get the opportunity to showcase Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island, where some of you know I spend about a third of my time supporting the Treasure Island Development Authority, implementing the habitat management plan for Yerba Buena Island and helping them create a nature-rich treasure island. So this is an image of what Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island will look like um, you know, in 15 years' time or so. And so we, we basically... Um, I, I talked to the 
colleagues out there and said, hey, what, how can we quantify what we're doing out on Treasure Island and your Bowen Island? And so the action uh, 3.4 is restore and create 173 acres of natural ecological parkland on your Bowen Island Treasure Islands including implementing the Yerba Island Habitat Management Plan. So, um, and that's unfolding and we're doing a lot of great work. Um, we just completed two big stormwater gardens on Yerba Island that are all planted with local native plants. So um, you'll hear, hear more about that. I'll probably come back and give an update on what's going on on the islands in the near future. Um, you can go to the next slide. Thank you, Kyle. And so this is strategy four, optimized management of the city's, city's entire urban forest system. And so the, the action that we wanted to highlight here uh, is basically our effort to um, promote, guide, to create and promote guidelines for, for tree species selection. So uh, Jesus Lozano behind me is uh, heading that up as the Urban Forestry Council coordinator working with the Urban Forestry Council. Uh, and so this is really so that we're selecting trees through the lens of ecosystem services, climate resilience, biodiversity, um, heat island or shading, et cetera. So we're not just, you know, selecting trees, you know, on a whim or, you know, just, just what a neighbor wants. I mean, you have to respond to the community, but we also want to have a framework for which trees we select and which species and why, right? So that's, so that's item, that's that item. Um, so next slide. And this strategy is maximize trees throughout the public realm. So this is number five, two more to go, two strategies after this. So this is a really exciting um, project. Um, and action, and so the action is uh, maximize where woody vegetation is appropriate, planting coast live oak and other native trees and arborescent shrubs throughout the entire public realm. So this, this map shows uh, all the points on the map of all of the coast live oaks that are planted in the street tree network in San Francisco. So Quercus agrifolia, or coast live oak, is our most common tree species in San Francisco, and we actually have nearly 500 uh, actually, I think over 500 individuals uh, in just in the in the street tree network. This doesn't include the parks, natural areas, etc. Uh, and so we really want to we want to do more of planting native trees throughout the throughout the city, throughout the public realm. And so this is a project actually uh, of this image that shows uh, that we're that we're literally collecting data on every single one, so that we can so that we could help drive decisions about where to plant and when to plant, etc. Okay, next slide. Trying to get through this. I know we got a couple more big items here. Uh, so, uh, strategy six. This is a strategy with eight actions. Uh, so, there's a lot here. I'm going to highlight two quickly. And this is maximize greening and integration of local biodiversity into the built environment. And so, uh, in order to do all this work, in order to create a biodiversity, we need local native plants. Um, and so we put that action into the, into the cap as something, well, what does it say? It says, create a city-owned and managed local native plant nursery that supplies plants annually to city agencies, period. Good enough. Um, and so this is an image of actually LEDGE, Literacy for Environmental Justice's nursery down in, at Candlestick. This is actually an, uh, a relatively old photo because they've just doubled the size of their nursery through a big grant and a big process. Uh, and so <clears throat> they are gonna be, continue to be one of the leaders in supplying local native plants uh, throughout the city. But this action is specifically to create a city-owned native plant nursery, which we don't have. Reckon Park has a nursery in Golden Gate Park, um, which you, you may know the location. It's kind of south of the AIDS Memorial Grove in a big fenced-off area. I recently talked to Reckon Park staff uh, and, and confirmed that they don't have space to increase capacity there. So this action is to create, a, to find a new site 
to create a city-owned native plant nursery so that Public Works, PUC, and maybe Rec and Park, although like I said, they have their own site, um, MTA and other agencies can have a supply of local native plants for all of their projects. Uh, next slide, please. And this is uh, action 6-6, which is by 2030, build 10 pollinator habitat landscapes at public housing sites. This action was inspired by a presentation that I saw at a California Native Plant Society conference a number of years ago. Uh, this is a photograph from Los Angeles. The city of Los Angeles worked with their housing authority to do um, basically pilot native plant, local native plant landscapes at four sites in Los Angeles. Uh, and uh, good news, we have, we're working on a grant. Um, I don't want to spoil too much, I don't want to jinx it, but uh, we're working on a grant to, to do this very thing and we have a meeting Wednesday morning with some, some, with some housing folks down in Hunters Point and we're going to look at a couple of the sites to do this very thing. Uh, so we're really excited and we'll keep our fingers crossed that we get to the finish line and get that grant submitted and we get some big bucks to, to um, create a pilot uh, project for this, for this action. Okay, you can go to the next slide, Kyle. And so I'm gonna wrap up with, uh, this is strategy seven, which is conduct carbon sequestration farming pilot projects and research. And this is action 7.3, which actually relates back to action 1.1, because this is the Alameda watershed, as you can see. Uh, and so the action is pilot appropriate carbon sequestration techniques as part of ongoing ecological restoration of degraded habitats with an SFPUC lands. So these six, um, these six actions that you can see listed on the slide there were, were what were listed in the Alameda watershed study that I talked about at the beginning. Uh, and so um, the idea is that now that we have this great report and this information, the PUC can now um, contemplate doing further action on their lands to, uh, to not only restore biodiversity, but you know, sequester more carbon. Um, and then you can go to the next slide and I'll wrap things up. However, there's an interesting caveat that I think is really important to bring up in this forum for the first time, uh, which is that one of the things we learned from the Alameda Watershed Study uh, and this applies to the map that you just saw, the 39,000 acres in the Southeast Bay Area. Um, so the logic, right, of the cap was that we, uh, we mitigate 90% of GHGs by 2040, right? Someone can correct me wrong if I have the dates wrong, but, and then 10, the remaining 10% we take care of through residual emissions i.e. those are called residual emissions and we take care of those through carbon sequestration and storage, et cetera. Well, what this study, um, one, of the, one of the conclusions of this study, uh, it was estimated that if they were to deploy all of the recommendations among the six that you just saw, um, and not counting liability and the cost and all that, but if they were able to do everything that was recommended, then the amount of carbon um, storage that we could get from that is actually not 10, not 10%, but 0.4% of, um, of, that, of, of that, you know, overall 100% of GHG emissions that we're talking about. <clears throat> and so that's, that's really interesting. It's good information. Um, I mean, you gotta remember that the Healthy Ecosystems chapter, as I said, is not all about carbon. It's about all these other reasons that we, do, you know, restore, restore nature. 
Um, but it's also um, kind of a ground truth thing of what the city's lands can provide in terms of carbon sequestration. And there's lots of other ideas about, you know, other ways we can sequester carbon, but this um, speaks to the Alameda Shed water, watershed lands. And then if you go to Crystal Springs, it's 25,000 acres, so it's, it's less acreage. And then, of course, the city itself, the city's lands and the city itself doesn't, you know, doesn't get to 25,000 acres. So that just gives you a sense of the quantification of carbon storage on the city's lands and I think is important to, to uh, bring up. So final slide, um, or nearly final slide. Um, so just wanted to kind of touch on you know, the bigger picture a little bit uh, when I'm wrapping this up, which is, as I said, uh, this is about carbon storage and sequestration but it's really about redefining our relationship to the land. We've been doing this for decades now in San Francisco. We've been working with people all over the state and all over the world and collaborating on this, but really locally, um, we've had an extremely energetic um, legacy, cultural ecological legacy of stewardship. And so we wanna, we wanna expand that even more. I mean, if you, if you figure we have <clears throat> maybe hundreds of volunteers that get out, you know, on a monthly basis. We want thousands of volunteers, you know, getting out and participating in stewardship in their neighborhoods. So to me, that's what the Healthy Ecosystems chapter represents, is, is scaling that up. Uh, and, and so, but in terms of next steps, of course, we're continuing, we'll continue to look for funding. Um, and, uh, you know, on that note, I think we're really looking to the Healthy Ecosystems chapter as a vehicle for increasing our program. So we went from one to two. Hopefully we can double again before too long. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Peter. Any questions? Yes, Commissioner Sullivan. Uh, I just uh, wanted to say a great presentation, uh, Peter. Eye-catching slides. Uh, so whoever did the slide work, uh, congrats. Um, and some good nuggets of information. Among other things, good to be, be reminded that the, the city's uh, properties are not just within the you know seven by seven here in San Francisco, but we have things like the Alameda watershed, which I don't think I even realized how extensive that was. So a good reminder there, a great presentation. Thank you. Yes, Commissioner Tompkins. So thank you, yes, I, I really appreciate the in-depth um, presentation that you did. I have a question with relevance to, I think it's 2.1 um, as a strategy, and you talked about validating equitable community outreach. What have you seen as the results of representation around the various parts of the city and do you see any areas for improvement or gaps that we need to close to ensure that we have um, representation across the board? Yeah, well, <clears throat> excuse me, thanks for the question. I mean, yeah, of course we can definitely improve and I think that's the point of the action, right? Um, I mean, the, the nice thing is, is that it, for me, I feel a sense of warmth and foundation of the legacy of, of this department and all the work that it's done in terms of equitable community outreach, right? And the focus that's, that this department has on equity. So it's, it's great to stand here and feel like I'm, you know, part of a team, a larger team that, that really has, that has that as a strength and, and has that as a focus. Uh, and so, um, and I think within, and, and I, I can mention for sure that within that reimagining San Francisco collaboration, that's absolutely a cornerstone of, of, the, of the values that, you know, that that, um, interagency um, organization um, espouses, and so uh, I'm, yeah, really looking forward to that. And that's and that's why we're going out on Wednesday to to Hunter's Point to 
to work with, uh, and, and it's going to be a it's a fact finding mission, really, basically. So we we've, we're able to engage the uh, the leadership of the housing corporation. We're going to go out there and we're going to meet with them, and we're going to say, hey, what do you think about this idea? Can we do this here? And then who is everybody we should be working with? Let's you know how do we engage the community to make sure this is going to serve everybody's needs? So we're really excited about that. Do we see any difference between um, the balance between youth and the adult population that's engaged? Um, you mean? Do you, have, do, you, do you have any like balance? Is it 40, 60? Is it, you know, Oh my goodness, 30? I don't know. I mean, in my field, I'd say it's, it's pretty balanced. Yeah, I mean, in, in the decades that I've been doing this work, it's very balanced. Um, I mean, I, I, back to working at the Park Service, you know, we had high school interns from San Francisco high schools back in the 90s. And, and those folks are working in the state capitol now, and you know, which is incredible to see them in totally different um, um, venues, you know, locations than places than where I met them when they were 16 years old. So yeah, there, we've had a lot of youth um, engagement within the conservation and stewardship movement over the over the decades. Yeah. Okay, and then just one other observation. Uh, thank you for showing ledge. <laughs> uh, they're a cornerstone there in the Bayview, Hunters Point area. So uh, you're talking about uh, identifying a new site. Just want to make sure that if there's partnership and collaboration with Ledge to phase, until you phase in the new site, that that is something that's being addressed so that the city has benefit of what's already there and can leverage that. I'm, can you? I'm not. Can you rephrase? So, so, if ledge is already in place, right, and they're already producing native plants, they are. Yes, they absolutely are already right, producing native that, plants. Yep. That the city leverages that that it exists already while you're trying to ramp up on a new site. Right. Right. That's the idea. Is that, yeah. is that helpful? And there are other and there are other um, native plant nurseries in the city besides ledge as well. Sutro. Um, and Nature in the City even grows. They have a whole backyard native plant nursery network. So, but yeah, Ledge is, is I'd say within the city, Ledge is probably the leader in terms of capacity besides Reckon Park. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. Excellent presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, quick question. I'm, I'm out there picking up trash a lot and so are <laughs> volunteers. And we noticed quite a few um, fallow or empty tree wells or tree basins, planters. Is there any program to identify all of those in the city and plans to plant them um, in addition to taking out you know, <laughs> more concrete? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, let's see, I think it was in 2015 that, um, that we did the, in, or 16, that we did the inventory of all the street trees. Uh, and so not only were the street trees counted, um, and we came up with, I think it was 125,000, which was more than we thought we had. Um, but then also all the tree wells were accounted for as well. Um, and, and I think, you know, the original, I, I can mention numbers here because the original goal of the urban forest plan, which was passed in 2015, was 50,000 new trees in addition to replacement, you know, ongoing replacement, 50,000 new trees. But then once we did the inventory, we learned how many we actually had and how much room we had for more, you know, realistically considering utilities and everything. And so that number got trimmed to 30,000 more in addition to the 100. So the, so the, so the full, um, you know, the, the, the full build out, if you will, of, of street trees, the goal is 155,000 trees, yeah. What's the bottleneck to getting to that? Is that funding or? Well, yes, absolutely funding. And so um, Prop E, which was 2017, no, no, 
I forget, I can't remember the dates of all these. So many things have happened in urban forestry over the last three years, good things. Um, but uh, that funding is a, is a um, general fund set aside for maintenance, um, but not for any planting. And so, um, so Buff and Fuff uh, and other um, NGOs are all scrambling to get funding to plant trees. Um, but as you heard from Cindy, actually, um, uh, Public Works just got 12 million from the feds, and it was actually the largest um, gift or grant in California um, for planting trees from that uh, source. So, yeah, yeah. Cheers. Any other comments or questions? Well, thanks, Peter. Uh, maybe we'll move on to public comment at this point. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to comment on this item? Seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. And we do have one caller in the queue. Hello caller, you're unmuted. Your three minutes begin now. Hi, thank you. I have a couple concerns. Uh, first, generally about the biodiversity issues in the city. I notice how disjointed all of the efforts have been over the years. There's SF Environment, there's the Bureau of Urban Forestry, um, there is the Council, Urban Forestry Council, there's the Natural Resources Department at Reckon Park. And so I don't see all of these places really coming together to support the goals that you're talking about. Um, like you said, you're only a team of one, now two. So that's something that I'm concerned about that I'd like to hear how that's being addressed. I know the Urban Forestry Council tries to address a lot of this, but they don't really have any teeth. It's more of an advisory body. Um, another thing I'm concerned about is also the site uh, for this new native plant nursery and why that, you know, what's the boundary or what's the barrier not only defining the site, but where will that funding come from? Which of those different departments will the staff come from? Um, I don't see a lot, it, will that be mayor set-aside funding? Um, I don't see a lot of movement on this. I know that there's a new tree nursery that's planning to be put in by the highway, by the Bay Bridge, but um, that won't, that'll maybe have 4,000 trees a year, but it won't be enough. There should be another tree nursery as well, maybe perhaps on the west side. Um, another issue is even when trees get planted, a big issue has been watering. So it's been a waste of funds to plant these trees, but then they're not getting watered and that's been, that buck has been passed back and forth between Fuff and Buff and a lot of different people and also different nonprofits that have had those contracts, some of which were involved in corruption schemes. <laughs> so I'm concerned about watering of trees. I'm also concerned about the size of tree basins. A lot of people are concerned about climate change and shade, but there, a lot of these basins aren't big enough to plant shrubs or other native plants for pollinators. Is there a plan to create more wider uh, basins that could actually house a lot of these native plants? Um, I like the plan that looks on Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island, you know, that looks great, and drainage plots are great too, but uh, I'm not seeing a lot of native plants on our, on our streets. Um, so I'd like to see this addressed too. Um, that's probably almost my two minutes, but yeah, there's a lot of questions. I'm just supportive of more biodiversity in the city. I appreciate your efforts. 
uh, but I see not a lot of uh, weight and money behind it, and I'm concerned that this just keeps getting delayed. You know, we declared a climate emergency here in San Francisco, but I, I, don't, I don't see a lot of movement emergency-wise uh, towards these ends. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your comments. If you wouldn't mind identifying yourself, it's not required, but I think I missed that. Oh, yeah. My name is Mika Barth Rogers, longtime uh, ecologist, conservationist, and uh, um, I've known, known Peter since his Nature in the City days. Thank you for your comments. Any other comments, Kyle? And seeing no additional callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Okay. With that, uh, we'll move on to the next item then. All right, the next item is item nine, update on the Green Business Program. The sponsor is Pauli Ojea, Toxics Reduction Program Manager. The speaker is Kevin Kudataka, Green Business Coordinator. This item is for discussion. Hi, good evening, commissioners. My name is Pauli Ojea. I'm the Program Manager for the Toxics Reduction and Healthy Communities team. And I'm very excited to speak with you this evening about the Green Business Program. I think it's been a long time since we've addressed the full commission. I think we've spoken to the policy committee last, um, but it's great to see all of you tonight. Um, so a little background about the program. The program started in 2004, and it grew out of an idea within several city agencies that we needed something that was a recognition program, a, a carrot, so to speak, in addition to the work that many agencies do on compliance and work that we do to so to speak, punish bad actors, right? We wanted to have something that was a little bit more recognizing those that are going above and beyond. And that's what the Green Business Program is, is working with businesses to help them green their day-to-day -day operations and then really publicly recognizing them for their efforts. Um, I mentioned it's been around since 2004. That first year, we certified seven businesses and since then, we've worked with over 1,000 businesses. And you'll hear a lot more about the changes that the program has gone through. Um, I am going to introduce Kevin Kumataka. He is the Green Business Coordinator. He's been with our program for a long time, working in San Francisco on the Green Business Program, also has worked in Sonoma County, um, and has really supported the California Green Business Network. We're not the only green business uh, program in the state. There's many. And so Kevin has really been uh, working on this program in many places and has a good bird's eye view of what's happening. So he's going to talk about the program, its evolution, and more importantly, some of the exciting work that we've been doing over the past couple of years to make sure that the program is accessible to all types of businesses, no matter where they are on their sustainability journey. So with that, I'll turn it over to Kevin. All right, thank you so much for that warm introduction, Pelly, and that overview of the Green Business Program. Um, hello, commissioners. I know a lot of you are, like, this may be the first time you've heard about the Green Business Program, so I'd start with an overview of our program and then provide an update on what we've been working on for the last three years. So our Green Business Program recognizes businesses for achieving high environmental standards, and we promote their achievements. 
We work with businesses step-by-step step along the process. This starts with assisting businesses register for the program. We then conduct a site visit to verify the green business measures already in place, and then follow up with an action item list to complete the recognition. During the site visit, we provide resources such as templates, signage, and identify any rebate opportunities. After the site visit, we provide regular check-ins to help the business get to the finish line. And as Pally mentioned, we don't do this work alone. We collaborate with the California Green Business Network, which supports our program with marketing, administering our rebate and prebate program, and they host Green Biz Tracker, the website businesses use to register for the program and track the recognition process. And our program also has a memorandum. Oh, sorry, next slide. And next slide. Sorry, I've been progressing the slides. Perfect. Um, and our program has a memorandum of understanding with the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission and the San Francisco Department of Public Health to deliver the green business program. The PUC supports our water efficiency efforts, uh, our wastewater compliance checks, and helping our businesses upgrade to 100% renewable energy. The Department of Public Health helps by verifying businesses are compliant with health, food, and safety code, and hazardous material storage and disposal standards. And next slide. And here's our team. Uh, it consists of the three of us, myself, uh, Jax Pugliati, who sadly, this uh, tomorrow will be her last day and she'll be greatly missed. Um, and Alejandra Yoreno, um, who came from an Environment Now team and has a tremendous amount of expertise with helping businesses switch from single-use items to reusables. Next slide. And so we have three different recognition levels to work with businesses wherever they're at. The entry-level recognition is focused on low-cost and high-impact environmental measures that help the business save money. And there are roughly 16 measures at this level. The certified level is based on industry-specific best management practices and has roughly 60 environmental measures. And the innovator level is for in leaders in the environmental movement and has four additional big impact measures such, such as upgrading to 100% renewable energy or creating a five-year sustainability action plan. Next slide. And now, uh, quickly highlight the six audit, audit areas of our green business checklist. The energy section, in the energy section, the checklist looks at measures focused on reducing energy usage, such as scheduling regular HVAC maintenance and switching from energy inefficient lights to LEDs. Next slide. In the pollution prevention section, we help businesses find alternatives to harmful products to reduce their employees and the environment's exposure to harmful chemicals. Next slide. In our water section, we provide free low flow devices for bathroom and kitchen sinks, and we ensure the flow and flush rates for all water fixtures meet our green business water efficiency standards. And for large water users, such as hotels, we, we require a comprehensive water audit from the PUC.
In the solid waste section, we look for opportunities to reduce waste generation by encouraging reuse and reducing single-use items. In this section, we also educate staff to properly sort between our three-bin system. And next slide. In the transportation section, we educate employees about clean transportation options and provide info about our emergency ride home program. And next slide. And the last section is about community, which is engaging the community and sharing the good work we do. Employers are asked to educate employees by distributing the employee green resource guide and are asked to develop policies that institutionalize green business measures through the environmental policy statement. Next slide. And businesses that complete the green business process are recognized for four years and get many benefits. And these include rebates, we promote them on social media, uh, they get a green business award plaque, they're listed on our SF green business map and California green business network directory. We get a certificate, they get a certificate of recognition signed by Mayor London Breed and the use of the green business logo which they can use on their storefront, website, and marketing materials. And next slide. And in total, our program currently has 419 recognized businesses, mostly recognized in the office retail sector. And this number fluctuates because many businesses move, close, or their recognition expires. And as Pally mentioned, since our program began, we're happy to announce our program has recognized over a thousand businesses. And we've worked with many more businesses, but those are the ones that were able to start the process and complete the recognition. Uh, businesses in the other sector category that we work with include auto repair, construction, dental services, grocery stores, food manufacturers, garment cleaners, nail salons, property managers, and remote offices. So we work with a very diverse type of uh, businesses. Next slide. And while our team is proud of the number of businesses we've recognized, we are leading with equity because we're a city program and we are meant to serve all businesses in San Francisco, not just those that have the resources to implement green practices. For those of you familiar with our program, we used to have only one level of recognition that focused on recognizing businesses who were implementing their industry's best management practices. But this meant we were mostly working with businesses that were already committed to sustainability and had resources to implement our suggested measures. Starting in 2018, we launched a tiered recognition program so we could support all type of businesses wherever they were on on their sustainability journey. Next slide. And to support our equity, equity work and to help businesses from historically underserved communities, for the last three years, we've partnered with N2Action, Renaissance Entrepreneurship Center, and the Bay Area Organization of Black-Owned Businesses. These community-based organizations have trusted relationships with business owners in the Bayview, Hunters Point, Excelsior, Lower Fillmore, and Visitation Valley neighborhoods. They also help recruit businesses into our program by organizing virtual and in-person info sessions, 
inviting us to merchant association meetings, highlighting our program in newsletters, and making personal phone calls, emails, and texts to businesses. Next slide. Additionally, our program is providing prebates, which are expenditures our team makes on behalf uh, for the business, and rebates to help the businesses achieve recognition. The advantage of the prebate is it helps businesses overcome the financial and logistical barriers to implementing some of the green business practices. For example, we helped Galindo Installation and Moving Services install new LED lights by paying upfront for their service. Without the support, Galindo would not have upgraded their lights or have been able to become recognized as a green business. The lighting retrofit will not only help save Galindo money on their energy bill and have a positive environmental impact, but when I did the final walkthrough, the owner was like really excited. He, got to, he didn't have to go through his warehouse using his cell phone as a flashlight. Next slide. And we also translated our prebate flyers and all our website material into Spanish, Chinese, Tagalog, and Vietnamese. Next slide. And as I mentioned, we partnered with a lighting contractor as lighting contractors often don't want to work with small businesses. By pulling many small projects together, it makes small projects worthwhile for the lighting contractor. Pictured here is a completed, completed lighting retrofit at Ujama Kitchen, an incubator space located in Hunter's Point. Next slide. And Alejandro and our team has also led corridor walks in the Mission neighborhood with a goal of bringing more Spanish-speaking businesses into the Green Business Program. Since beginning the corridor walks, we've welcomed businesses ranging from community organizations to food establishments and art studios into the program. Next slide. And through our equity work, we've also worked with our Healthy Nail Salon sister program to recognize our first nail salon as a green business. This achievement was led by Jax on the green business team and Minthu from the Healthy Nail Salon program. And this certification was recently featured on KQED. For this collaboration, employees were trained on green business practices, which was translated by Minthu. And the nail salon purchased a ventilation unit, which was also fully reimbursed with the green business rebate. Next slide. And in the last three years since we've been offering prebates and rebates, I'm happy to report we've distributed $68,880 worth of prebate and rebate funds to 101 small businesses. We've completed 38 lighting retrofits and recognized 83 black, indigenous, and people of color owned businesses. And we're not done. We want to continue this effort. And as a request, if uh, any of the commissioners have recommendations for businesses or organizations we should work with, we would, uh, we're always looking for new opportunities. Next slide. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> Questions, comments? I have a question. Yes, Commissioner Tompkins. Hi. Uh, so 
Um, congratulations on um, the efforts that you guys have and the results you've seen. Uh, question on what are you seeing as possible barriers for converting additional businesses? Um, you know, I've, I've seen that you're saying that since 2004, there's 419 that have been certified. There's been over a thousand, and we use the term recognized because we use certified for middle level. Um, and then we have the three different recognitions. So we consider any recognition at the entry level, certified level, or innovator level of recognition. And we have over a thousand since 2004. But since our certifications four years and businesses move or close, um, in, the, in this current moment, we have 419. Oh, okay, in yeah. the current moment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so thank you. That's helpful for that. And then, um, in addition, do we see more subsidies that are needed to support these businesses to, to again, drive toward, you know, the results that you're look, seeking? Yeah, I find the biggest uh, constraint or barrier for a lot of businesses is the time and staffing element. Uh, the majority of the businesses that we're working with are small mom and pop operations. They're really busy just, you know, if it's a restaurant, they're trying to get their staff to show up. They're filling in for their staff when they're sick. Um, and our green business process, as I mentioned, we used to only have one certification level that had over 50 best management practices. So to make the program more accessible, we really created this entry level tier that has, um, you know, the, there's, there's 16 best management practices in that tier. And those are measures that are impactful and also focused on helping those businesses save money. Um, and that makes it a lot more digestible for those businesses to participate. So you're satisfied that at that, that level, the impact is still substantive? Yes, absolutely. It still covers those six different audit groups, energy, water, waste, pollution prevention. But we're, and I would say our staff has also been incredible. Um, Jax is always like on the phone with these businesses, checking in with them because for a lot of the businesses, it's like, it is a, priority for them, but you know, other things come up and they want to get recognized, but they just may, it may just kind of like fall to like a back burner type situation. And so our teams, um, they're available to hold their hand and walk them through the recognition process. Okay, thank you. Uh, just, so the, the staff that you have, are they doing this on a proactive basis or are they waiting to be engaged by the, the businesses? Yeah, we try to be as proactive as much as possible. And so we schedule monthly, we try to schedule monthly check-in meetings. Um, and yeah, we'll put that, like when we finish up one meeting with them, put it on the calendar so that we can have a regular scheduled check-in and keep the process moving forward. Great, all right, thank you. Yeah. Commissioner Sullivan. Yeah, uh, thanks for the presentation. I wanted to ask what the source of funding for the Green Business Program is and, and how many members of the department are dedicated to it. Yeah, absolutely. So there's uh, four people, including the present, in the, including myself, Jax, Alejandra, and our program manager, Pally. 
Um, and our funding comes from, part of it comes from the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. Um, and then some of it is funded through our, the impound account, the waste fees. And some of it we get from grants um, coming from the state of California. Got it. So with some of our programs, we live hand to mouth and programs go away if grant doesn't come in. It sounds like there's, there's pretty dependable funding. Going. Yeah, there's pretty dependable funding for staff time. Um, our program funding largely comes from the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. The grant funding that I mentioned that comes from the state of California, we received the last three years, um, and we we're really able to expand our uh, community-based organization partnerships and provide this, these rebate and prebates to businesses. Um, that funding, unfortunately, isn't gonna continue this next year. But um, Pally and I have been working with our program partners, our you know, green business program touches on so many different areas and we benefit so many different programs. Um, we are looking for alternative sources of funding as well. Great, thank you. And I might add, uh, you know, a lot of the work really does, as Kevin has indicated, it has to be that one-on-one -on -one interaction, right, because of how busy these small businesses are. And the team really focuses on those small businesses because otherwise they wouldn't be reached. Uh, and so with the development of the prebate program, that's about trying to make it more accessible so you can pay for those upfront costs that maybe the small businesses can't pay for. The follow-up calls, uh, not just the initial interaction, but just like making sure they follow through on all the things that they want to do but maybe don't have time to do. And so all of that takes uh, a lot of time and staff effort. And absolutely, the, the more resources we had, we have the bigger the scale and impact could be, and that's, there's a direct correlation there. Uh, and the team does a great job with the resources they do get. Uh, working with our Public Utilities Commission saying, hey, as we're out there talking about these energy programs, we're also talking about water conservation, so here's how it benefits you uh, and your priorities and goals. And so we're trying to pull this all together, and uh, it's really thanks to the great work of the team uh, that we've been able to accomplish so much already. Well, I would acknowledge, too, that the collaboration that you're doing with Intuaction, Renaissance, and Baobab is incredibly important. The, the conversation around trusted partners and those that are in the communities already doing that work, that's uh, clearly a contribution to success. So, And to add to what you just said, Commissioner, small businesses, as Ty mentioned, uh, don't have a lot of time to go to chamber events, a lot of things. Most of them are working in their business. They're not working on their business, as it were. So by going out to them and making it user-friendly and understanding that there are different levels of entry points is very helpful. I would be interested in um, learning more about the corridor walks because I think it's also a way to um, talk about other programs that small businesses might have access to, whether it's grants or, or just different things that happen, especially um, when we see disasters happening left and right, that they are also well-versed. I mean, it's an opportunity, it seems, not just to talk about the environment, but other things that cause some of these disruptions in small businesses. And um, I do have one more question. You mentioned that um, once a business is recognized, it's a four-year recognition, and after four years, do they apply to be recertified, or they drop out of the program? How does that work? 
Yeah, so six months after their uh, recognition expires, we someone on our team reaches out to them, letting them know that their recognition is going to expire, and we encourage them to move forward with the process, letting them know sometimes our standards change and our benefits increase. Uh, four years ago, we didn't offer the rebate program, so we're like, you know, here's an opportunity to improve your environmental sustainability path and journey. You know, it's something that we're always continuously striving to do more on, even if you've been with the program for 12 years, um, especially with new technology, like new uh, understandings just about toxic chemicals, uh, we are trying to continuously push them towards uh, improving and their, lowering their environmental impact. Thank you. Yeah. Any other comments, questions? Well, seeing none, let's go to public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thanks again, Kevin and Pauli as well. Um, with that, let's go to the next item. All right, the next item is item 10, update on the Environment Department website. The sponsor is Jennifer Sang, Senior Marketing and Communication Specialist. The speaker is Stephen Wilson. Web Experience and Strategy Coordinator. This item is for discussion. Um, that was a great transition with Kevin talking about new technology. So good evening, commissioners. My name is Jennifer Zung, and I'm the Senior Marketing and Communication Strategist at SFE. Um, the current SFE website was created in 2012, and we're very excited to be rounding out the final touches for the launch of the new website in a few weeks. Uh, we presented at the January Operations Committee, and we're here today to update you on our progress and provide a preview of the near final product. Uh, decisions were uh, based on research and user-based metrics, an audience-first approach focused on user experience, accessibility, consistency with sf.gov, and incorporating the brand refresh we implemented last year. And with that, I'll hand it over to Stephen Wilson, SFE's web coordinator, to present on the website overhaul project in more detail. Thank, thank you, Jennifer. Good evening, commissioners. <clears throat> uh, like Jennifer said, my name is Stephen Wilson, um, and I am the web experience coordinator for the SF Environment Department. Um, and today, I'm here to just uh, provide an update on the overhaul of our new website. Uh, next slide, please. So uh, just to get grounded, I wanted to start with the key objectives, which were our guiding lights for this, this big project. Um, uh, these are our three key objectives that you can see on the slide. Um, but first, like Jennifer mentioned, we wanted to have a laser focus on our users. Um, from the beginning, we wanted the design to be user-friendly, um, we wanted to simplify the information architecture, which is kind of a fancy way of saying we wanted to organize our content and our information uh, with more care and make it easier for the visitors to our site uh, to find that information quicker. Uh, we also wanted better alignment with sf.gov. 
Uh, SF.gov recently overhauled their website, and we wanted to have a modern look and feel like their flagship website, and also prepare to come in compliance with their DAIS requirement, which stands for uh, Digital Accessibility and Inclusion Standard. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so major milestones. These are some of the strategies and tactics we use to achieve those, uh, to act on those objectives um, that I'll walk you through, walk you through here. Uh, next slide. So phase one, uh, like Jennifer mentioned, uh, we hadn't had an overhaul of the website since 2012. So there was a lot of emotions involved. There was a lot of decisions to be made. So we really needed a solid foundation to start from. And that we found that with our user insight reports. And basically what happened here is that we recruited visitors to our website, asked them to complete a survey, um, asking them questions like, uh, why are you visiting the website today? What information did you hope to find? Were you successful in finding that information? Um, and some of those users we were able to actually follow up with and have a more in-depth interview over the phone. So this uh, provided a lot of a solid foundation for us to start designing and start receiving feedback from staff and stakeholders. Um, and we also held a content audit and migration. Uh, instead of doing just a, sort of a blind bulk migration of all of our content, I worked with each program team individually to identify which pages strategically made sense to them to also provide some uh, quantitative data to them to show them which pages they thought, which pages users thought were important, um, measured in page visits. Um, and so that's how we decided to migrate our content instead of just bringing everything over to the new website. And then finally for phase one, we did wireframing. And I'll present some of that uh, later in the presentation. But those were basic black and white uh, mock-ups of what the new website could look like. Next slide, please. Uh, so for phase two, we did, uh, we engaged with a lot of external partners and industry experts. Uh, some of those I've listed here in this slide today. We engaged with the city and county of San Francisco and their digital services team, their language translation team, and their department of research. We, of course, engaged with our web vendors, Five Paths, and their LBE Inca Design, uh, Lighthouse, and International Contact are also some groups we engaged with that we were really excited about because they held usability testing for, for folks who don't speak English as a first language. And with Lighthouse, they were able to test the, a prototype of our website um, for people with low vision and people who rely on assistive technologies to engage with digital products. So prototyping and, and development was the sort of the last stage of this phase, uh, and it's kind of the stage we're currently in, but it's a step up from the wireframe, and it actually is a version of the website that you can interact with and gives you more accurate results when people are testing it. Next slide, please. So from wireframe to website, uh, here I'll just present some, uh, some of the screenshots of what we started with when we started the project and what we're working with today. Next slide, please. So here are some screenshots of the wireframe of the website, some of the beginning stages. We wanted to design um, mobile first, as almost 70% of the visitors to our website are visiting the website uh, with a mobile device, uh, 67%. So on the left, you can see 
one of the first iterations of what the new website would look like. Uh, it's mostly in grayscale. It's just black and white. There's not many images have been incorporated. But this was the basic foundation. You can think of it as a blueprint. Anytime you set out to build a house or a building, you need a blueprint first before construction begins. And that's what these wireframes are. Next slide, please. And here's a preview of what the new website will look like on the right. Uh, this is a preview of our homepage, our default homepage, and the new sfenvironment.org when visitors come to our website. On the left is a screenshot of what the homepage looks like at the beginning of the project, uh, just so you can see the evolution of the homepage from the beginning to its current state. Next slide, please. Um, and here I'll just dive in a little bit deeper um, on the next few slides uh, into what makes the new website special. So uh, first of all, we're, we're curating a different homepage for each of our target audiences. So, um, so these homepages are mobile friendly and we've identified these target audiences as San Francisco residents, businesses, and employees of the city and county of San Francisco. So each of these audience segments can visit our website and interact with a, a feed that's relevant to them. Um, instead of coming to our website and having to figure out what our programs are, what our department structure is, they can come as they are and interact with the homepage or the feed that is relevant to them. So this is an example of how we are adapting to our users and instead of forcing our users to adapt to our department and the structure of the department. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, we have some updated content templates that are visually engaging but also accessible. So we didn't want things that, uh, we didn't want design elements that cause the user to use a lot of their data um, on, their, on their device that they're using to access the website. And we also had to make sure that it was accessible. So we're achieving state and federal standards for accessibility. Uh, while also updating to a modern look and feel. Next slide, please. So on the new website, users can now filter policies, meetings, and events. Now, currently on the website, we just have a global search. So when a user visits our website, they can go to the global search, enter in a keyword, and everything will be returned to them. Everything from campaigns, press releases, events, and that's not always relevant to the reason why they're visiting the website. So we wanted to make our search functionality more robust and offer it in more granular sections of the website, like our policy hub and our events hub. Uh, next slide, please. And this is a preview that we're really proud of. Uh, this uh, shows our um, utility navigation above the header there and our language selector. So any user that comes to our site will be able to select the language of their choice, their preferred language. And we have each of the threshold languages, Spanish, Chinese, Tagalog. And we also are including Russian and Vietnamese because OSEA's um, language access ordinance report identifies these two languages as emerging threshold languages, so more people are requesting that materials be translated in Russian and Vietnamese, more people are uh, calling to ask that 
for directions and, and things like that over the phone, and that they be translated in these two languages. So as a part of our research, we identified that we would try to get ahead of the curve in that regard and just add that as a part of the menu of available languages. And as you can see, it's a seamless user experience. So the website kind of has the same look and feel site-wide, no matter which language you choose. And this supports our racial and social equity goals um, that all of my colleagues are doing offline. So that can be reflected online for our visitors. And it's another example, again, how I mentioned earlier, of just um, how we're going to adapt to our users and their needs rather than asking our users to come to our website and adapt to our structure and what we have available. We're adapting to them. Uh, next slide. So next steps. This is where we are now. Uh, you can next slide, Kyle. And this is just uh, some of the feedback we've received so far. Like I mentioned earlier, we have conducted usability tests. And this is where I host folks to walk through the prototype. I present some tasks to them, ask them to find out information about the green business program, for example. And they go through the site. And then after they complete all the tasks, I ask them to complete a satisfaction survey. And some of the data I'm presenting here, just these two main points, come from that satisfaction survey. So most of the participants rated the design good or excellent. And many participants expressed a willingness to share the website with others. So intuitiveness, usability, shareability were some of our main goals with this website overhaul. Uh, next slide, Kyle. Yeah, so from here on out, um, this is just you know, a straightforward update. We are still within budget um, of the original purchase order. We are on our original timeline uh, to complete the overhaul, have it published and available to the public by the end of the calendar year. Um, and then after it's published, we will still uh, continue to take advantage of some of the new elements on the new website. Uh, we will refine the content. I'll, again, work with program teams to make sure they're taking advantage of the new design elements on the website. Um, and then make sure that all the pages that got migrated are, are you know, really fine-tuned and in top shape, top-notch shape for our visitors. And we will continue to test and improve over time. So we don't want it to be sort of like a set it and forget it launch. Um, we'll have a plan to evaluate content, just to think about the full life cycle of content, not just publish it because it's the hot topic right now and, and still have it available on the page, I mean, on the website in a few years when it's no longer relevant to users. So we will continue to iterate um, and improve through testing over time. Uh, next slide, please. And that's it. Um, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, I'm happy to discuss. I'm glad, first of all, it's a mobile-friendly experience. That's long overdue. And the one compliment I'd also pay is I, I really like the design choice of the language access features on top of the website. I do think that's really important versus the older website where it was buried. You had to go search for it, essentially. On that. Thank you, Commissioner. Um, other questions, comments? Just a comment. Here's a phrase you don't hear often. On budget and original timeline. So, <laughs> That's why it was my first one. <laughs> Especially in government, but that could, I think, be a model for not only other departments, but other cities as to how residents, with, uh, especially with language, um, 
variety of language can access information that's really easy to find. So thank you for the presentation. Thank you. All right, seeing no other discussion, uh, let's go to public comment then. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thanks again, Stephen. Thank, thank you, Jennifer. Yeah. All right, next item, please. All right, the next item is item 11, director's report. The speakers are Tyrone Ju, director, Charles Sheehan, chief policy and public affairs officer, Will Chu, energy program manager, Cindy Comerford, climate program manager, and Joseph Piasecki, policy and public affairs coordinator. This item is for discussion. This item is also in two parts, update on environment department federal and state grants, and update on the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation APAC Summit. Uh, so I will keep my comments as brief as usual. Uh, so the way we're gonna do this, now that the commission is meeting monthly, uh, instead of uh, inundating you with a lot of written reports every single month and creating a lot of paperwork, uh, we're gonna do a verbal update every other month and then do a more full written report covering that two month span, including the verbal update. And so. This month will be a verbal update. Next month, you'll get a two-month report covering uh, last month and then uh, the month leading to the commission meeting. Uh, just two items. Uh, one, I did want to acknowledge that we hosted a workshop uh, on the intersection of climate and racial equity at the Bay Area Youth Climate Summit at the Cal Academy on October 14th. And we were happy to have Commissioner Tompkins join us at the workshop and help set the stage uh, for the discussion. And we thought it was a, a great and fabulous event. Uh, there has been some conversations, uh, you may have read at the Board of Supervisors, that uh, they have suspended remote public comment. And so I just bring this up as a, a point of reference. Uh, the main reason that the board chose to do that is they were receiving a number of comments and dial-ins and remote call-ins uh, providing anti-Semitic remarks and other uh, hurtful and racist remarks. And so they suspended that. Um, and so I put that out as a discussion point for the commission, just as you're discussing how to move forward with your own commission meetings and with our own remote comment. Uh, but to the main topics at hand, I'm going to jump over to floor consolidation because we've also talked about floor consolidation. Um, everything is on pause. We have talked about consolidating our second and third floors into one floor to, to get some cost savings. Uh, that was contingent on a new lease being signed by our Board of Supervisors um, and being authorized by our Board of Supervisors. Uh, at the previous board meeting, they felt that the rate was too high, and so they directed the Department of Real Estate Director to go back and renegotiate a lower rate for the city, or uh, two, to look at alternative sites uh, where the city might be able to procure a building either through a lease-to-buy uh, structure uh, given that these departments are going to be here for long term, so in the long term, is this a good opportunity for the city to try to procure a building and house our city departments there rather than continuing to pay the lease, um, leasing fees, which ebb and flow with when uh, the economy recovers. And so right now it may seem cheap. Five years from now, we could be in another economic boom, uh, just like we were in our previous building, and rates could double in terms of leasing costs. And so maybe this is the opportunity to get out of that uh, cycle. 
And uh, I did want to do one acknowledgement for our departing uh, DHR analyst, Adam Romoslavsky. He, I know he's not listening because he has other things to do tonight. Uh, but you heard from all the people that we hired. A lot of that was thanks to the work of, of Adam. Um, he processed over 104 appointments during his tenure here over the four years at Environment Department, which is a huge number of appointments. Each of these appointments take up to nine months. And so to, to turn through that number uh, is really a credit to him. Uh, his services, he was able to get a promotion uh, to work with our Department of Homeless and Supportive Housing. So he's moving on to help the city still in terms of uh, building up that team. And so we're really happy for him and we're looking forward to the next analyst that is going to join our department. And with that, I'll turn it over to Charles, uh, who is gonna talk a little bit about our federal and state grants uh, because we've been really busy, as Charles will note, applying for a lot of grants. Thank you, Tyrone. Uh, Charles Sheehan, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. I'm gonna give a overview on some of our grants that we're applying to, and then I'm gonna talk about a specific grant um, that the transportation team applied to, but they couldn't be here tonight, and so I'm subbing in for them. And then my colleagues, Cindy Comerford and Lowell Chu, are gonna talk about um, some grants that we have applied in one as well. So next slide, please. Um, this is kind of our grant tracker of what we are currently looking at. Um, and we've got grants that we've submitted, that we're preparing and evaluating, that we've won from the federal government, from the state government, and one came in a couple days ago from a professional organization. And so we're kind of all over the map of where we're applying and where we're winning grants. Um, tonight, specifically, we're gonna talk about four grants that we have won, and those are uh, marked there. You can see in the winning amount, the totals are 2.3 million. And um, you know, with a little luck, the grant applications that we will be submitting will continue to increase that number. And some of the grants that we're gonna be submitting are also formula funding, block funding. And so if you submit it, as long as you do a good job on your submission, you're, you know, you're, more, you're most likely to get it. And so we have a, a number of exciting opportunities from formula funding to ultra competitive grants. Um, and then the only other thing I'll note is, um, you know, I think in the beginning of the year, we were more focused on federal grants, but over the next coming month, we have like four state grants that are due. And so we're moving from federal grants to state grants, and we'll probably ping back to federal at the beginning of the year. Um, but I'm gonna go to my next slide to talk about a Department of Energy grant we won um, to pilot e-bike food delivery here in the city. Next slide. Um, it's about a grant for about $605,000, and it's gonna provide e-bikes and trainings um, to people who've um, become part of the program. And we're also gonna develop an online calculator tool at the end to help um, potential e-bike delivery workers as well. And ultimately, the goal is for um, food delivery workers to choose e-bikes and not cars. That's the ultimate goal. Next slide, please. Um, this grant is based on a CEC grant we won last year, which had many components, and you can see those components there, but one of them was uh, to study um, the efficacy of food deliveries on e-bikes, again, e-bikes versus cars. And most of these grants that we apply for require some sort of match, like they wanna see what are you doing that you can match to augment what we're gonna give you in this grant. And we are lucky with the CEC grant that we were doing this whole bike study. And so when we applied to the Department of Energy, we used the entire CEC grant as a, you know, as a match. And they pretty much did that. They matched us you know, for about $600,000 for the CEC with a $600,000 grant from the Department of Energy. So that worked out really well. Next slide. 
So to be brief, the CEC grant is studying 30 e-bike participants. We're looking at the revenue they generate, how long it takes them to make deliveries, where in the city they make deliveries. Um, and then we're studying that versus a car control group. So how do the e-bike how do the e-bikers do doing food deliveries versus how do the car delivery um, food uh, uh, delivery participants, how do they do and who does best and who generates more revenue and who can deliver more quickly? That's what we're studying. And the hope and the goal is that we can, again, show that it is profitable, that it is timely, that it makes sense and better sense to be on e-bikes versus cars. Um, and so with the CEC, we're gonna study 30 e-bike participants and with the addition of the DOE funds, uh, we're hoping to increase that number to studying up to 75 e-bikers going around the city making food deliveries on e-bikes. And then I think that's my last slide, so I'm going to turn it over to my colleague Lowell, who's going to talk about another Department of Energy grant. Um, so thank you, and happy to take questions after everyone's done. Thank you, Charles. Um, good evening, Commissioners. I'm Lowell Chu. I'm the Energy Program Manager. And th this is not exactly a grant. This is a prize. We won $400,000 cash. They asked us for our ACH account um, to deposit into um, the funds. And this, uh, next slide please, Kyle. And this prize came from the US Department of Energy's Buildings Upgrade Challenge. And this challenge provides more than $22 million in cash prizes and technical assistance to support the transformation of existing US buildings um, for energy efficiency and clean energy readiness. So upgrading existing buildings to efficiently run on clean energy will help address our climate change challenges. Next slide, please. So the building's upgrade challenge is deployed in four phases over five years. So we successfully overcome the first gate, which is phase one, the concept development. We're now in phase two. So with a $400,000 cash, we are supposed to use it to develop an implementation plan. And with the success of successful development of the plan, um, next slide please, Kyle. Um, we will go through those um, certain gates and if we pass through all of them, we will get another round of funding to do the piloting of our plan. And if we're successful in the pilot, then we get the grand prize, which is the implementation of our total concept. So again, this is several phases over five years. Next slide, please. So what is our concept? It's called 200 by 200, fast upgrades, equitable outcomes. So what is the challenge? So there is a big push to replace our natural gas water heaters um, with electric heat pump water heaters. And with the recent regulatory policies that have been adopted by 2027, the sale of new natural gas hot water heaters will not be possible. So we want to advance, accelerate equitable solutions to help those transition from natural gas to heat pump. So the solution is our SF Home Improvement for Everyone program, SF Hippie. And this program is going to try to zero out the cost for the participant to install low voltage, upgrade avoiding electric heat pump water heaters, as well as other energy efficiency measures that we will try to integrate with the block grant that Charles talked about previously. So the objective again is 200 heat pumps in 200 days within 
near or next to a disadvantaged community in our city. And the team is really exciting. We have Poder and um, Rising Sun for opportunities as our community-based organization partners. We have a technology and heat pump expert in quick carbon. And we're also gonna um, solicit advice from the Climate Equity Hub. Next slide, please. And I will now turn it over to Cindy to speak about her grant. Thank you, Lowell. So I have two grants that I'm gonna talk about today. Again, my name is Cindy Comerford, Climate Program Manager. So the first one is the expansion of the prevention-centered IPM model for affordable housing. And the goal of this grant is to expand implementation of affordable housing IPM programs to produce substantial long-term reductions in both pest infestations and pesticide use, and also to build the capacity within affordable housing property managers and maintenance staff to be able to do this work in the future. So this was a state grant from DPR, the Department of uh, Pesticide Regulations. It's for a little over $300,000 for a three-year timeline. And we have a fantastic team that will be implementing this grant. Um, it's a combination between our environmental justice team, uh, our community partnerships and engagement team, our toxics team, and then we have a whole host of community partners, uh, MOHCD, which is our Mayor's Office of Housing, Community Development, CCDC, UCIPM, RAMP, and Pestec, and more. And so, as you notice in the title, it says the expansion of this program. Back in 2014, our department worked with RAD sites, which was the residential assistant demo, uh, demonstration properties. And this was a HUD initiative to take Section 8 public housing and transfer it over to community-based private developers. Um, and so we worked with them as they transferred over these properties and renovated them um, to make sure they were pest-proof and did trainings. And during that uh, process, we worked on um, retrofitting over 3,500 units. Um, and after that project was done, we actually got a grant to evaluate that whole effort. Um, and through our evaluation, we saw a significant decrease in pests in all of those units, and we were able to learn from that evaluation and take all the best parts of that project and apply for this new grant. So this new grant is gonna be um, working with new affordable housing sites. We aim to uh, work on about 1,200 new sites and do this really integrated community um, pest management project where we do more module trainings, flexible trainings, uh, assessments, working with residents and property managements, all with the goal of really um, you know, reducing pest and improving outcome for the residents of an affordable housing. And that Actually, Cindy, before you go, would you mind uh, letting folks know what the acronyms stand for? Sure. Um, I said so many of them, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I, I think you got, you got Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. So yes, just sure. So uh, MOHCD, Mayor's Office of Housing Community Development, CCDC is a Chinatown Community Development Center, uh, UCIPM, uh, University of Berkeley uh, Integrated Pest Management Ramp, Regional Asthma Management Project, I'm not entirely, I think. They're a regional uh, asthma advocacy group, and Pest Tech is an organization that actually does the, the pest um, uh, inspections. Thank you. Okay. 
And with that, I will try to do a better job on my acronyms on the next slide. Um, and so the next grant is titled Community Driven Community Action in EJ, Environmental Justice Communities. And the goal of this grant is to use community-led climate action to implement the city's climate action plan and increase environmental justice capacity to understand and act on climate change um, in order to improve our response and our services and ultimately to improve health outcomes in these neighborhoods and also reduce greenhouse gas emissions. This is a federal grant from the EPA's Office of Environmental Justice and External Civil Rights Office. It's a million dollars. Uh, you'll see a little asterisk next to the million dollars. We haven't certified the contract, but that is our expectation. It's a three-year timeline, and we will again be working with our environmental justice team, our community partnership engagement team. We're also gonna be working with the planning department, the library, and our anchor community partner is Bayview Hunters Point Advocates. And so this is a really exciting grant. There's many different components to it. Um, we're gonna have a series of community meetings and learning sessions. One thing that I am really excited about is we're gonna take all the information from the Inflation Reduction Act, um, the different incentives and rebates, and try to translate it into language that community-based organizations can understand and take advantage of different rebates and direct pay programs so they can benefit from this large amount of money that's coming from the federal government. Um, we're also going to uh, have grants that come out of this uh, program. Uh, last year, we initiated our environmental grant program. We'll be able to use this money to augment that program, and then we'll also be using money to give incentives to the community um, around electrification. So it's another really exciting project, and I look forward to coming back and talking to you about both of them in the future. Thank you. Yep. Uh, so, commissioners, if you have any questions uh, regarding the grants, as you see, like a strong throughput on all of our grants is making sure that uh, it does have an equity focus and that we're putting these investments in the communities that have been underserved for far too long. Um, and I think that, along with the technical expertise and creativity of the staff, is what's led to these successful grant applications. So, we're really excited. Um, as Charles says, we're leveraging every dollar we get in our department to put multiple dollars back into the community to benefit them, and so uh, we're happy with the progress we're making. Other comments, questions? Not, let's go to public comment. Um, I believe we have another presentation from Joseph Piasecki. Ah. Uh, yes, the, uh, yeah, we yeah. are want to give you just a very, very brief update on the Asia-Pacific Economic uh, Collaboration event that is scheduled uh, in the middle of November. And uh, Joseph Piazeki of our policy and, and public affairs team has been uh, our point person helping to coordinate a lot of our activities. Good evening, commissioners. Uh, thank you for having me here this evening to talk you through what our department has been doing to help support the city's efforts around APEC. Um, as you can see, and as you have probably heard, the APEC Summit is coming to San Francisco the week of November 11th through the 17th. Um, there will be a lot going on. This is the largest gathering of international leaders here in San Francisco since the signing of the UN Charter. So there is a lot of hype about this and a lot on the table for the city to take advantage of. Next slide, please. So this is the technical definition of what APEC is. However, I, uh, in 
very layman's terms, I can say that it is an international economic cooperation of 21 countries focused on free and fair trade in the Pacific region. Um, and as a point, these 21 countries uh, and APEC member economies account for nearly 50% of global trade across the world. Next slide, please. So where our department's role has come in, we are essentially kind of a fourth order operation for APEC here uh, during its time here at the city. There is the APEC organization itself, followed by the State Department, followed by the city, followed by us. Um, now, APEC's theme this year is creating a resilient and sustainable future for all. Well, that sounds like what our department does on a daily basis. So what we have done um, is we've taken opportunities to, um, back in September, Director Jew made an invitation to our climate technology companies here in San Francisco, asking them to join our effort and make available either their facility to tour or host a discussion, either available to delegate members from any of these 21 countries or members of the international media. So I've had the opportunity to kind of coordinate these opportunities with the countries, or not, I'm sorry, not with the countries, but with the companies, and make those opportunities available to the mayor's office to share with international media and delegates in the packets. Um, I've also been able to provide support to our city's APEC branding efforts. Um, you should see some of the city of first tags coming from the city, um, and they do talk about some sustainability efforts that our department has been a national leader on for decades now. Next slide. So I know that was kind of a lightning fast update, but where you can learn more is the city's website for APEC2023SF.org. Um, this has a plethora of information about not only who is coming to San Francisco, what some of the events look like, um, and even kind of questions, comments, and concerns about what's going to be accessible in the city. Where should I maybe not walk down uh, the street during the busiest time of the day? Uh, some items like that. But with that, I would be happy to take any questions you may have on what we've been doing. Okay. Questions? Yes. Is, is there maybe one event that you think we shouldn't miss? One event that I think you shouldn't miss. Um, well, I, it, it's kind of like asking me to pick my favorite child right now because all of these companies have been really, really great partners um, to share. I know a lot of them, um, on, on the APEC website, it will list out San Francisco events, and I think they all will be listed on there, and you can either request an invitation or sign up there. Um, really, these are showcase efforts to look at the climate technologies that have chosen to start here in San Francisco, and this was kind of a great opportunity for us to share their story. And Commissioner, I might also add, uh, if you go visit the website, there is a page that shows like all the events that they know of that are happening and we can request an invitation. So if any of the commissioners are interested in attending, please let Kyle know and we'll, we'll be happy to submit a request. No guarantee, because they're, they're not our events, but at least maybe it'll help elevate the chance that you'll be able to attend. And so it's a wide variety of, of topics. And so it's impossible to say, here's the one you should attend because they have one on biodiversity. They have another one uh, focused on women and sustainability. They have another one, like, so it runs the gamut. So I think if there are things that have of interest to any of the commissioners, uh, please let Kyle know and we'll be happy to register you. I have a question. There have been some articles in the paper 
about the difficulty that small businesses might experience with their workforce in terms of security and how not only are the employees going to get there, but products uh, because of the periphery of the, of the security. Can you talk a little bit about that? Is that a real concern? Um, yeah, so um, I don't want to speak too much to the efforts because that has not been my responsibility and our department's responsibility. However, I can say that in the meetings that I have been involved in, um, our city colleagues at OEWD have been out on the street doing door-to-door -door outreach to businesses and to the communities to talk to them about what the safety and security expectations will look like. Um, there's been a lot of conversation about what the security zones look like and what the term checkpoint will mean for people who are walking down. Um, this is essentially airport style security um, and even saying that is even a little bit too much. It will be if you have a bag, Secret Service or security will ask to look inside your bag. There will be no identification checks, um, no intense scrutiny to that degree. Um, for deliveries, that is a little bit trickier because these are larger vehicles that obviously security is a, is a concern. Um, I would direct any business that has specific concerns to reach out to OEWD for direct assistance and coordination because I know that there will be checkpoints and specific delivery times specifically within the days the 14th, 15th, and 16th when we know that our leaders from this country and from other foreign delegations will be in town around the Moscone Center. And OEWD is our Office of Economic and Workforce Development, and that's also where our Small Business Commission uh, is under. So they're definitely aware of all the concerns that have been raised thus far, and they're trying to do outreach. And I know the mayor also is interested in just seeing how this all unfolds, too, because there's a lot of uncertainty around how all this is going to impact the businesses. And I think she's made comments that she's prepared to help out, but she kind of needs to see what the fallout is because it could be that, and hopefully this is the case, uh, that this could drive additional uh, business to those small businesses in those areas uh, because that's where the delegates are gonna be able to move around freely um, versus uh, outside that area. The delegates won't, won't really be moving past that security zone because it's gonna be a security risk. So you won't have the president or any of the other you know, ministers heading outside of any zone that hasn't been vetted uh, by the Secret Service. Yeah, and I'll leave you with two items. So we expect um, over 2,000 delegates to come here from those 21 countries, um, and there's over 600 members of the international media that will be with them as well. So there is a significant contingent of visitors that we expect here in San Francisco. And finally, 311 and the Joint Infor um, Information Center will be operating over the 10 days of APEC from November 9th to November 19th. So anyone, resident, small business owner, if they have a call or concern, um, the city has resources to help address concerns and divert resources appropriately. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. And that concludes my report. All right, thank you. Uh, to public comment then. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue.
And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you. Next item, Kyle. All right, the next item is item 12, new business future agenda items. The speakers are Charles Xi, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer, and Leo Chi, Deputy Director. This item is for discussion. Hello, Commissioners. Charles Sheehan again, Chief Policy and Public Affairs Officer. For um, the new business future agenda items, I'm going to kind of run through the usual things that I run through, but um, I'm also going to then cede um, to my colleague, our Deputy Director, Leo, who's going to talk about some specific new agenda items coming up and go into a little more detail about them. Um, so for my usual part, the next uh, commission meeting is um, December 4. As a reminder, we typically or sometimes don't have a commission meeting in November because of the Thanksgiving holiday. And so the next commission meeting is December 4. That is the final commission meeting currently scheduled for the year. And we will probably most likely have an operations um, committee meeting in early January uh, where we do a deep dive in the budget uh, leading up to the budget discussion at the full commission in February. So we are set up for that at the uh, beginning of the year. Um, coming up for that commission meeting in December, um, we will have a couple of uh, presentations, the uh, report and approval of the Buy Green report uh, about the city's green purchasing progress and policies. We will also hear a report from the climate team on the exemptions that have been granted for the all-electric new construction ordinance. It's a requirement that we hear that at a public hearing every year, that report. And we're also hoping to talk about a couple of other topics like battery collection. There's a lot going on that in that field, as well as we're looking at a um, hopefully a uh, the ICCT report, uh, an electric vehicle report that um, we are uh, hopefully writing and it's in and it is in its final stages. Um, I'll pause now and I think I'll turn it over to my colleague uh, Leo, who will talk about some more specifics for future agenda items, and then we can take questions. Thank you so much. Uh, Leo Chi, Deputy Director and Chief Administrative Officer. So I wanted to just um, provide some kind of high-level context for what's coming up on the calendar regarding planning um, and budget. So um, basically, um, you know, internally, um, the department staff have been doing a lot of work to do our own planning for um, the upcoming year. And so department, um, each division's been really looking at their workload and then um, identifying their work priorities and then working on performance planning with individual staff members. Um, and so we did have an initial retreat in September where we started to um, do a range of activities, but it was largely focused on making sure that we're all on the same page and that we're sharing information with one another about what each group's focused on. Um, there are a fair number of new program managers, and I'm new, so it was a really good opportunity for us to make sure that we're getting on the same page. Um, and additionally, we got to do a little bit of fun stuff, so there was some um, role playing around uh, making sure that we were um, getting um, on message with what the city's priorities are and trying to show how the work that the environment department's doing fits in with the overall city priorities. Um, so we have another second retreat with our senior staff in November coming up where we're gonna be able to 
really pull together our top priorities for each division. And then we're, I'm gonna be taking that information along with the program managers to make sure that we're able to share that information with all of you in December um, at your commission meeting. So we really wanna give you a, a, a good basis of information so that you can give us your feedback and thoughts about whether our priorities match what you think is most important or if you have specific areas that you wanna see additional work or any changes, um, that December meeting will be a chance for us to share sort of what we've come up with internally and then get a chance to start that conversation with all of you about what you wanna see. Um, and then Charles did mention um, both January and February will have um, budget conversations. So um, we're required to make sure that the public has a chance to hear um, what the department is considering and proposing and then um, the commission would finalize the or um, vote on the budget proposal in February before we're required to submit it. Um, probably should have given some larger budget context for those of us who are new. Um, the Generally, the mayor's office issues budget instructions to all departments um, in like the week or two after Thanksgiving. So lately, I think it's been early December. Um, and last year, the mayor's office did ask for reductions in general fund support from the city. Um, and while our department has a very small relative percentage, um, we do get some general fund now, which we're excited about, but um, means we'll be more involved in some of those conversations about reductions going forward. Um, in fact, the mayor's office did issue a 3% cut instruction already for a mid-year cut. So looking at the current year budget, they felt like things were in tough enough shape that they wanted to see um, reductions proposed right away. So um, for our department, it was a $50,000 ongoing cut that was requested and we were able to comply. Um, luckily, we had um, a general fund supported grant program that um, is fully funded but is wrapping up and rather than rolling into a new grant cycle, we were able to put that forward as um, a reduction in general fund. So. I say all that to really provide context that um, the mayor's office has been emphasizing how difficult they expect the budget process to be. They've been saying this since they finalized the budget last year, I know. So, um, you know, we're taking that into account when we think about what we might ask for or what um, might get us laughed out the door. So um, we'll be thinking just, you know, once we get that information about what we can do and, you know, um, I think we can show a lot of return on the general fund dollars that have come in and being able to leverage those dollars, but um, this is gonna be an interesting conversation going forward this year. Um, so I just wanted to preview that so you got a sense of how those fit into the overall calendar. Um, the budget itself won't get passed until you know months after we do our submission. The mayor has to finalize theirs um, by June 1st. Um, and then the board hears it after that. Um, one other calendar topic I wanted to raise was that um, for our director, um, we're required to do uh, an evaluation of his performance every year. And um, since he was recently um, appointed 
permanently to his role. Um, we, um, as staff, checked with the city attorney and are recommending that um, you allow him to basically work for a year and do the evaluation um, toward the end of this fiscal year. And there's some other operational reasons why that's beneficial. The city's um, HR department um, has a process where they do um, salary setting increases for department heads um, that happen um, after the fiscal year closes. And so it lines up well so that if um, the commission or if the director himself wanted to, you can self-propose, but you can also propose an increase as a commission, um, that that would happen after the closure of the performance plan if that were something that you thought was merited. So we thought that basically it gives you more time to see what's um, taken place over that year and then for you to be able to um, be on a fiscal year evaluation cycle which works with the city and actually matches, not exactly, but we're, we're, we're on a fiscal year as well for the other staff within the department. Um, so that's, those are the calendar updates I have. Um, can I answer any questions or clarify anything? I think we're all okay. Thank you, Leo. Great. Thanks so much. With that, I think we go to public comment. Last time. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to comment on this item? And seeing none, we'll proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public participating remotely who wish to make a comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Next item, please. All right, the next item is item 13, adjournment. The meeting is adjourned. The time is 7.31 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.